Welcome to the discussion, Implications of AI and ML-Based Modernization Efforts, sponsored by LMI. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Josh Wilson, Senior Vice President of Service Lines and Technology at LMI. Josh, good to have you on. No, thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. And let's start with this concept of continuous modernization. This is a word that we hear a lot that government agencies are using so they stay out of technical debt and so forth, but also artificial intelligence as a part of that, both to aid the modernization and as a result of it. So talk about what that all means, how it all comes together, and maybe some of the skill sets required for people that are embarking on this continuous modernization. Well, thanks, Tom. Yeah, you know, Right now, today, it's really hard to talk about modernization when you look at the outcomes the government, especially the national security space, is trying to achieve without talking about AI and ML. Um, one of the big aspects, you know, there's a book out there named uh, The Kill Chain by Christian Bose, uh, who says, who talks a lot about in the future, especially as you look at how assets will be available in space and, and, and who are likely, um, enemy or potential enemy forces could be, no one's safe. There is no distance that protects you anymore. So that, that new reality is kind of one of the things that's on the front of a lot of senior leaders' minds around, okay, if, if I'm not, not safe anywhere, how quickly, how fast do we have to execute against these various networks to be safe or to deter and maintain peace? And you can't do that without autonomous vehicles and AI and ML. Um, so that's just a new reality of how you're going to move forward. So basically all weapon systems going forward are going to have AI, ML enabled capabilities. Um, but that comes with some pretty serious implications as we think through costs, how to sustain them, how to prepare, et cetera. And to your point, that drives a lot of new requirements around the skill sets we'll require uh, um, from a people standpoint. Um, as I look to today, and you, you, know, you want to talk about skill sets. Yes, we need a lot more cloud engineers. Yes, we need a lot more data engineers. But the real challenge we're faced today is we need all our senior leaders, mid and senior, to have a much higher digital IQ, to be able to ask smart questions, to be able to drive resource priorities in, a, in an effective way. A lot of our senior leaders are going to have to show up to the job with a much higher level digital IQ than they, they currently have today. And when you mentioned the weapon systems and the platforms that will be imbued with this AI, that's also true of the networks that they all operate and interoperate on. Increasingly, you have networked platforms. So I would think the AI has to be built into network operations and control operations, as well as to the platforms themselves in the, in the DOD setting. Yeah, I mean, well, what you'll see on the network side, you know, I'll just make it plain and simple. Uh, if all these things are going to interact with each other, the F-35 with the Bradley, the future Bradley fighting vehicle on the ground, if all these things are going to talk and communicate, then the networks have to be interoperable, first of all. These systems actually have to be able to communicate. The networks have to be set up in a way that we can operate at the speeds we want to operate at. Uh, that's a huge challenge in and of itself. But then also just getting the data to a point to where it's actually meaningful. Uh, you know, a lot of people jump to that future scenario that you're, you're kind of alluding to, Tom. Uh, but a lot of the realities we're confronted with um, in this space today with a lot of our customers starts with just having good, clean data 
that's interoperable across systems. Um, but, you know, you kind of have to have that before you can even start talking about networks in some cases. Sure, and uh, we should pull on that data question for a second longer. When you say good, clean data in order to train algorithms, that's what you mean? Yeah, you know, um, these algorithms, uh, you know, I, I give this example all the time. Um, you have to generate good quality data to train these machine learning and AI algorithms, right? An example I love giving people that, that, that aren't familiar with this space is, you know, when I take my, two, my three and four year old out into the woods and we go for walks early on in their age, it's every five seconds, I'm like, you can't put that in your mouth, right? Don't touch that, don't eat that. Uh, and then by the time they're six and seven, they stop putting a lot of that stuff in their mouth they shouldn't put in their mouth, right? But that took years of data points, right? Where you're pointing out to them good versus bad, okay versus not. And that's the same thing with these machine learning and AI algorithms. It's only as good as the data that we train them against. Uh, and that data sometimes can be super expensive to create. Um, so as I was alluding to, if you, if you see this future state where all these ML and AI uh, enable platforms exist, then are we, are we really considering today the cost associated with that? Another example I give is Elon Musk, right? When he, he and his team, Tesla team decided to have a, a, an AI enabled platform to do one thing, drive from A to B safely at a very high effectiveness rate of 99.99% safety. You're gonna do it right every time. Well, he put hundreds of drivers on trillions of dollars of US infrastructure to create the data necessary to create that effectiveness rate. Um, and that was for one scenario. Uh, the DOD has evolving scenarios that change over time. Uh, threats that have changed over time. And every time, you know, in the past, we had to think about the man training equip costs associated with these future scenarios, right? But in the future, we're going to be talking about the man train equip and train these digital assets to prepare them for these future scenarios. And that's going to generate a huge bill that I'm not so sure we have the mental models and constructs to really think through today as we're making these uh, acquisition decisions. Um, but it's certainly something that the government's thinking about, certainly something that we're trying to help them think about amongst others. And in these specialized settings like a DOD system, those, those systems do produce data. Do you find that agencies now are understanding they need to maybe keep it and record it and use it in some way for training? Or is this something they yet have to establish the existence of in the first place, the data? Yeah, I mean, it's not new to anyone, just the sheer amount of data that we generate today. Um, candidly, we're at a point now where the, where the, to the onset of major cloud providers and, uh, and other data warehousing capabilities, the cost of sustaining a lot of that data is no longer what drives a lot of our decision-making. It's, it's actually very easy and affordable to stare, um, store just you know, unlimited capacity really from a data standpoint. The challenge more is how do you manage it? Uh, in a meaningful way that can be used uh, and to organize around the different scenarios and business problems that you're trying to organize around. You know, a lot, a lot, that's a lot of what we've been doing for PEO EIS and the Army uh, on what's called the RDAP contract, the Army Data and Analytic Platforms contract. You know, they've acquired lots of data warehousing capabilities and analytic platforms, but the sheer governance of pulling this data in and, and, and keeping up with the data standards and the curation processes and et cetera. Uh, process is honestly more in policy are the challenges they've been confronted with and made huge strides. It's not a technology and storage problem anymore. Um, a common example I use is just 
uh, where we've had been a, uh, had the opportunity to have a meaningful impact is in the sustainment world in the DOD. Uh, if, the, if the Secretary of Defense asked, what does it cost to sustain uh, a Humvee uh, in the DOD? Well, in the Air Force, they have data standards and maintenance transaction codes and, and processes at which they manage their data around how they maintain a Humvee. Uh, the Marine Corps, you get where I'm going with this, the Navy, the Army, they all do it different. So if you tried to pull all that data in and say, what's the cost per day of availability or cost per year of a hump to operate a Humvee, uh, that was nearly an impossible question. And same for every other weapon system that sits in multiple military services, right? So being able to ask, answer basic questions like that are impossible without true data standards and ontologies. And that's actually one of our uh, most important pro programs that we've done for OSD. And now we're supporting the Jake and doing the same thing for them is creating a common ontology for how this maintenance transaction data is managed. And now it's cool you go out and do all kinds of amazing, meaningful stuff uh, from an AI and ML, but it has to be sitting on a foundation that's meaningful and accurate. Yeah, let's talk more about the Jake, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. You are involved there and they've come quite a long way since they were established. And I think probably it's safe to say they have a clear understanding now of where AI might fit in the larger military picture. How would you describe their progress and tell us about some of the work you're doing there to support their goals? Well, I mean, candidly, you know, when the Jake part first got put into place, right? I, I think they were very focused on quick wins, which is natural for a new organization to show their value uh, and to generate momentum in what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, and, and that's natural, but where, where they've moved and where they're posturing themselves now, I believe is super meaningful and where we need them to be, which is enabling data operations, enabling AI and ML. You know, an example I use commonly with customers on why we have to generate capacity and scale around a common set of tools is, imagine every new company you started working for, or if you're still in the military, every new unit you show up to, uh, they were using a different version of Excel made by a different company. Uh, things would slow down massively, right? Uh, you know, in the DOD today, there are literally hundreds of thousands of potential combinations of technologies that you could use to connect to data, to transform that data, uh, to do analytics on that data, and to present that data in some visual, meaningful way. Literally hundreds of thousands of exponential combinations, right? So what the Jake is doing is, is creating spaces, if you will, for people to come in across the military services and do those activities, right? Go from connect the data, transform and manage that data, do analytics on that data and push it to production in applications or, or to users. And, and that's really where we need them to be because then now the DOD, you get to a world where uh, you're showing up at different places and, and there's a common set of tools that you've been trained on and there's momentum as soon as you hit the ground day one. And our, you know, that's something we push a lot of our customers to do. RDAP and, and on the Army side uh, is doing the same thing, uh, led by the program office over there under Mr. Guffgerd and Rob Wolf. It, it's a common set of tools for all ORSAs and all analysts to go in and do meaningful stuff with large, complex sets of data. And these deployments aren't set and forget, are they? Maybe discuss the issue of dealing with the potential for drift in the application of algorithms with the data bias that can come in, and there's many, many forms of bias, 
uh, how do how do they stay away from that or at least be able to monitor it and adjust as they see these distortions coming in to the AI complex? Well, I mean, just like humans, um, these these machines, these these AI tools, right, can develop biases over time. Back to my example of of my three year old, if it, you know, if um, if I wasn't educated enough to know that one particular item they were shoving in their mouth was actually not good, and I was saying it was okay, right, that that would become a problem over time, right? And our adversaries are also even doing um, things that. Uh, also corrupt data that are feeding different platforms of us and generate biases where, you know, we have an algorithm that's trained to identify dogs and it, they can do things with our data that then all of a sudden tells them that it's a cat when it really is a dog, right? And um, so the, these are all things that have to be accounted for. So back to my earlier point around, if all these weapon systems are gonna have AI and ML, just like humans develop biases over time that we've seen in our history, so will these platforms. Right, so you'll you'll hear a lot about that and DARPA, and there's a lot of co cool companies out there that, especially that work with in the quant shops, the commercial banks, and the things like that that are working on this. Um, we at LMI, through our research institute, have partnered with several companies that are thought leaders in this space, and um, and that's another bill though, right? That we need to think for and program for as we look to deploy these things in our space, uh, as we think about. You know, in today's world where you go out and you, you take that piece of equipment and you go train it at, at the National Training Center or somewhere else. And, the, and then once the equipment is good, it's good, right? Well, in the future world, that will, they will always have to be monitors um, for issues and, and biases. And that's not something necessarily that we do today. All right. We're going to take a short break on that note. My guest today is Josh Wilson. He's the Senior Vice President of Service Lines and Technology at LMI. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is Implications of AI and ML-Based Modernization Efforts, sponsored by LMI here on Federal News Network. LMI is dedicated to powering a future-ready, high-performing government. For 60 years, we have exclusively served our federal customers, delivering solutions tailored to their unique missions in defense, national security, and healthcare. With digital innovation, data analytics, and management expertise, we help customers grow, transform, and become more ready and resilient, allowing them to overcome today's challenges while anticipating tomorrow's. Visit us at LMI.org. Welcome back to our discussion, Implications of AI and ML-Based Modernization Efforts, sponsored by LMI here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Josh Wilson, Senior Vice President of Service Lines and Technology at LMI. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And we were talking about the Jake, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center before the break, and you described a lot of processes that they have learned to do to bring AI into some kind of operational level. But implied in a lot of what you said, is for this to happen across DOD so that each unit, the, the armed services and the other fourth state agencies can develop their own AI capabilities. There's a cultural change and a different type of person maybe needed to be added or retrained in here. So how do you, how does the Jake learning get inculcated across DOD as time goes on? Well, I, I think you know, as you think about what we're trying to accomplish, this is true with digital transformation, right? So a lot of people think when they think of, you know, enhancing things or mo modernizing things, we think of it almost like traditional, you know, continuous process improvement, right? Our Lean Six Sigma days of how do I take steps out of this existing process, right? Well, 
you know, what we're talking about here is literally not not existing processes. It's literally transforming how we do business, right? That's what these innovations and technologies are allowing us to do. And that's that creates a huge change management uh, uh, approach, right? Because it's gonna require people to do jobs that are completely different than what they do today. It's not about making their job necessarily in a lot of cases more efficient. It's about transforming it completely where some jobs go away and some jo jobs come on. And that, that you know, fortunately or unfortunately plays to a lot of folks insecurities, right? Which we then have to account for as you roll these things out. Uh, if you don't account for it, uh, it, it just doesn't work. Right, it fails, and I, you know what we talk about with our customers all the time is the antibodies will rise, right, and they'll they'll attack you from within. Um, so th that's the one thing is just being able to to recognize that the, it's not just about the technology; it's about the organizational psychology, and it's about the change management approaches to a lot of this. And um, and if you're not ready to pay for that, along with the digital innovations and and investments in that space, you're probably not ready to be successful. Um, that, that's, that's point one I would make. And then, you know, on the believability explainability front, another cultural implication is imagine, you know, a lot, you know, the, the army and, um, general Daly and others and in the, the air force out of the rapid sustainability office, everyone is making big bets on predictive maintenance, right? Uh, aircraft before the aircraft lands, parts are waiting based off what we're learning from sensor data and enhanced reliability centered maintenance. And we're going to put those parts on there and we're going to order parts automatically humans are going to be less in the loop in regards to a lot of those decisions um but imagine you know you're that uh lieutenant colonel who has an annual maintenance budget of x right and all of a sudden this algorithm tells you to go spend 30 million on three parts uh you know that's tough right um even though it may be the right decision or not or not that's tough so really helping people understand when to believe these things uh, is going to be critical under which at, to support the pace at which we want to move, right? So believability, explainability, if you're not prepared to invest in that and the, the, the education at the front line for folks that are going to have to believe what these things are telling them, right? Because it's their lives and their reputation on the ground, then you're probably not ready for, to be successful in this space from a cultural standpoint. And that gets back to something you said about the Jake earlier, and that is they started out with small wins to kind of prove and demonstrate that this was all possible. So at the non-Jake or the DOD agency level, then it sounds like a big challenge is choosing the right use cases in the first place that can be done, that can be efficiently done, that maybe don't boil the ocean, but yet can show to people, look how this can work. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing that I'm proud of in regards to what we do is uh, when, when a customer comes up, we, we, we often get the, uh, we, want, we want AI or ML. And, and, and so AI or ML is, is an approach, it's, it's not a solution. You know, it's not a problem statement, right? So you want AI, you know, what are you actually trying to accomplish, right? What problem are you actually trying to solve? AI, ML may be the answer. I, I would tell you in a lot of cases where, you know, traditional modeling and SIM is, is, is still hugely valuable to the what if questions that a lot of our customers are trying to ask and, and probably don't get enough credit for the value that they still generate. Or but, for that case, automation, for example, robotic process automation yeah, would be the answer. That, no, Tom, that's a great point, right? So that, depending on the question you, you're trying to solve or answer, right, let's start there. And one of the things that I'm proud of is, is we, just, we spent a lot of time just 
helping you understand what problems are actually tractable, right? What problems are actually solvable with AI and ML, or you're going to have to use other approaches, or you're going to have to go spend some time collecting data in a different way. Um, there's been a lot of money spent on exercises that we're never going to generate value just based off the maturity of the data you collect today and the quality of it. Um, so something we're, we, we really get focused on is we don't want to go in and, and, and you'll lose faith right away if we say, yeah, sure, we do it. And it, it never achieves the effectiveness rates you need to support your mission. So you got to start there. And we always do. And another challenge is the uh, buy-in from people whose data you might need, but you didn't generate it. The data governance issue, uh, more than governance, it's the data culture, data hugging issue. That's one that I think they probably have to overcome, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, for RDAP, as an example, uh, you know, they're using a lot of data that are owned by a lot of different data stewards, right? And when I say own that, you know, we're trying to not use the word own with a lot of our customers because you don't own it. The, the Army does in their case, right? Or o, OSD does or whoever does, right? But you are the steward of that data. And, and that must be respected because candidly, you want to push stewardship of data down as low as possible to the people that understand the business processes that are creating that data the best, right? But, but the, the magic sauce, if you will, is allowing them to be the stewards of this data and to feel comfortable with how that data is being used by others, right? So that it actually is being used in a way that they know will generate the results you're looking for and also not give you results that don't represent reality. So, so there's a lot of new technologies out there that allow you to do that, um, you know, and there's a lot of technologies out there that allow these data stewards to perform their role, right? Calibra is a, a great company that we've worked with a lot that is getting a lot of traction in OSD because they really scale that data steward role of managing the data uh, standards, managing the data models. What is this data used for? Who is the owner of that data? And then there's other cool tools out there that we're using like Amuda, right? At, you know, who Army Inscom is now looking at and digging into really well that really allows you to manage access to, to that data in a very audible way uh, without you, you know, uh, encroaching on the data steward's role with how that data is curated and managed and et cetera, right? So uh, not to highlight these technologies as the one-all be-all, but my point is technology is no longer the problem, right? There are solutions out there that will allow you to deal with this where you can be the steward, you can have all the controls you want. There's no excuse not to make your data available to the enterprise to generate value from. It sounds like this is where the chief data officer function can really come to the fore to help adjudicate a lot of this and to maybe bring best practices in data stewardship so that everybody's playing fair and yet nobody feels like they're being taken advantage of because of the data they generate. Yeah, I think that's true. But, you know, in the, look, in the federal government, um, you know, things get driven by people who own budgets. Right. So uh, it's it's an incredible step forward uh, for a lot of these chief data officers uh, that are now in place. And the ones that have been most successful, I would tell you, are the ones that are incredibly good at effective advocacy, going out and advocating for why we should go and do things. I do think as we move forward, you're, you're going to see the next phase of maturity from these chief analytic and chief data officers. Right. Where their budgets are going to be more substantial. Right. 
they're going to be able to drive more points of a few beyond just uh, and that won't just be reliant on their ability to effectively advocate from the folks that do have the funds and do have the, the resources, right? And I think that's the next phase of maturity that we're all excited to see. Um, that, uh, but regardless, we, that role has created clear points of view and clarity around requirements that we've never had before. And it was a great step forward. And, and, and hopefully we, we just see those empowered more through resourcing decisions. And we've been talking a lot about life cycle costing and life cycle planning. And it seems that AI, once it becomes baked into what the DOD does, will become part of the life cycle planning. And it too, the algorithms, the data sets required, and the technologies may be applied in the whole complex from training to deployment might have to be part of the life cycle planning. So is it possible to get that discipline going such that you, once you've got a project and everybody's bought in and it's running great, it's going to have to change eventually also, isn't it? Yeah, you know, look, in every federal agency, there are folks whose job are to, to, to bring together the total budget of that agency, right? Uh, you know, in the DOD, they call it, the services call it their POMs, right? And then it, it rolls up to CAPE. And OSD CAPE looks at that and, and says, do I believe these numbers? Do I not? And, and we have all these formal processes on how we acquire weapon systems and look at the total cost of ownership of those weapon systems over time as the DOD example. But every federal agency does this, right? And, and the reality is, is, you know, we would argue that a lot of federal agencies today aren't even equipped with the rubrics and mental models to look at AI enable, uh, enable technologies and be able to project what that, that, that function is going to cost me over time into the future from a sustainment standpoint. Um, and that, that, you know, why would we be there, right? That this is new, but it's certainly gonna be a huge cost driver as we move forward. You know, and uh, we've been here before though, right? When, when LMI was founded 60 years ago, uh, a lot of the pressure for founding us was because the DOD was buying a lot of weapon systems uh, and not really accounting for what the true life cycle cost was gonna be over time. And Congress and the president were tired of these surprises, right? And so just like we did back then, L LMI is spending, you know, uh, a good amount of research and development dollars working with great institutions that are thinking about this problem because we want to give the government the tools to be able to look at these things and say, uh, this, is, this is going to cost quite a bit more than you're currently seeing and you're projecting over the next 30 years because you're not accounting for this other thing that you're going to have to account for. So 60 years later, in other words, to go back to your analogy of the child in the woods, the DOD is still plucking mushrooms off logs and popping them down the hatch. But maybe, right? But, but just that, you know, I would tell you today that organizations like CAPE and others have gotten a lot more mature in regards to their ability to, to say, are you sure, you know, in regards to what you're saying, this, this thing is going gonna, is gonna to cost me just in the DOD alone. Um, but we need them to you know, be prepared and postured to have that same level of maturity for all these new weapon systems as we have to project, you know, future costs. And, uh, and candidly, we don't know the numbers yet, but I would say we're digging into it. And, you know, but it would not surprise me if this was a $100 billion problem. 
Wow. Well, I wish we could go on for another hour, but we are up against the clock. I want to thank today's guest. Josh Wilson is the Senior Vice President of Service Lines and Technology at LMI. I'm Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search LMI. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Implications of AI and ML-Based Modernization Efforts, sponsored by LMI on Federal News Network.